Hey, what's up, everybody? Thank you for joining the Sportlight Podcast. On this week's Sportlight Podcast, Dustin and I first begin by talking about one of our core principles, and especially for athletes, win the hour. After that, we bring in high school and college basketball coach Mike Russell, and we talk about women's sports. We talk about whether youth or this generation are softer than past generations. Are participation trophies a good thing or a bad thing? How involved should parents be? It's a super interesting discussion. We hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Sportlight Podcast for parents, coaches, and athletes. The Sportlight refers to the time in an athlete's life when they have increased ability to affect the culture around them and the increased opportunity to learn life's lessons through sports. This podcast aims to help parents and coaches capitalize on their athletes' precious time in the Sportlight. The Sportlight Podcast is brought to you by Especially for Athletes program. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Sportlight Podcast. This is Dustin, and I'm here with Shad. Great to have you on again today. We have a, a fabulous guest on today. He's a longtime basketball coach. His dad was a 38-year high school basketball coach, and uh, he also was a college basketball coach. His name is Mike Russell. He coached at Bonneville High School at uh, Snow College, where he coached the women's basketball team, and he is currently at a large high school in northern Utah, Syracuse High School. We're going to sit down and, and have a, a series of questions we threw at Mike. But before we hop into that interview with Mike, I wanted to play briefly a couple-minute Instagram post that, Shad, you did just the other day that tied in really well to our first principle of especially for athletes, win the hour. But you you had some quotes, you had some examples from Stephen R. Covey and, and Justin Sua and some others that I want to listen to that. And then, Shad, I want to kind of dive into that a little bit more for maybe 10 or 15 minutes, and then we'll hop over to the uh, interview we did with, with Mike. Does that work? Awesome. Yeah, that's great. Let, let's listen to that first, all right? Hey, what's up, everybody? Shad Martin here. I just want to share with you a quote and a concept that has had a powerful impact on me recently, and I hope it has the same impact on you. It's from author and speaker Michael Ashler, and he says this, The bad news is time flies. The good news is you are the pilot. You are the one who gets to steer your time, navigate your time toward those things that you deem most important in your life. We had mental performance coach of the Tampa Bay Rays, Justin Sua, on our podcast a while back, and he asked a simple question that just rattled around in my brain ever since he asked it. He simply said this, do you live a life by design or by default? Another way to say, do you live a life by design is, are you purposely, intentionally steering your time toward those things that matter most to you? Or do you just wake up and let life happen to you? Stephen R. Covey said the key is not to prioritize what's on your schedule, but to schedule your priorities. Recently, we had Daniel Summerhays, professional golfer, on our podcast, and he said that he doesn't like to use the phrase, I don't have time to fill in the blank. He's replaced it with, that thing is not a priority to me. When we do that, some things kind of sting. Here's a few examples. Saying, I don't have time to exercise and take care of my body. Versus, exercising and taking care of my body is not a priority to me. Or as a parent saying, I don't have time to play with my children. Versus, 
playing with my children is not a priority to me. A student saying, I don't have time to do my homework versus getting good grades is not a priority to me. You are the pilot of your time. We call that concept of intentionally steering your time toward those things that matter most, winning the hour. We encourage the athletes we meet with to look at their day, to break it up into increments and ask themselves the question, what do I have to do during that hour to get the most out of it for me and to do the most for other people? That's steering your time toward the things that matter most. That's living a life by design and not by default. So what priorities have you let fall out of your life? That's what I've been pondering recently. And I've had to readjust some things and steer my time toward some things that matter more than the things that I was steering my time toward. So to end where we began, the bad news is time flies. The good news is you're the pilot. So win the hour, steer your time toward those things that matter most, and you'll have a much better life with more meaningful relationships and a lot more accomplishments. All right, Shad. So the the Justin Sua, for those of you that don't know Justin, he was on one of our earlier episodes, uh, episode probably 10 or so of our 80 plus episodes we've done. He is the mental strength coach right now for the uh, Tampa Bay Rays, a major league baseball team. He was also with the Red Sox. He's worked with the Cleveland Browns with a lot of different people. Um, that, that comment that you referred to, we've used before. I've heard it by Justin as well as some other sports psychologists, the you know default or design, how you build a culture, or how you build a team. Talk a little bit more, Shad, not about that a little bit, but then kind of transition into what you talked about in scheduling our day. I love that. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that, well, Daniel Summerhays brought it up on our last podcast as well, that he doesn't like using the phrase, I don't have time to. And I've just been thinking about that a lot, right? That when we say, I don't have time to, what we're really saying is that thing is not a priority to me. And then there's that Stephen R. Covey quote that was mentioned there in that post that that we don't um, prioritize our schedule, we schedule our priorities. And so you put those two together and it's just, I really feel like sometimes life becomes so busy or there's so much so many just easy things that could distract us that if we're not intentional and we don't design our life, then those most important things might fall out of our life without us intending for them to fall out of our life. But but we're busy enough nowadays that we need to design our life to make sure that those most important things are in our life first. I didn't say this in the post, but you've seen the the example that people have done with rocks and pebbles and sand, right? That yeah. that if you put sand in a in a container and then you you know then you add rocks or little pebbles and then you try to fit big rocks, then what's going to happen is you won't have room for all the big rocks. But if you put the big rocks first and then the pebbles then the pebbles fall in and fill in the cracks and then the sand, then you can fit, 
the, the way I hate when this object lesson is done, by the way, is when all the sand fits perfectly. I think that misses a good lesson that could be taught. The, the key to that object lesson is not that, oh, if you just put the big rocks in first, everything's going to fit. The truth is that there's so much stuff out there that everything's not going to fit in our life. Yeah. So by designing our life, um, by by scheduling our priorities instead of prioritizing our schedule, then what happens is those big rocks, those things that are most important to us, those things that we would feel uncomfortable with if we had to say, well, you know, that's not a priority to me. Those things aren't going to fall out of our life unintentionally. What's going to fall out of our life if we put those things and build those things in our life first is the sand of our life. This stuff, the scrolling or the watching TV or whatever it might be. We want that stuff to fall out not relationships with our children or not the opportunity to progress and get stronger as an athlete or the opportunity to be a good student. Those are the big rocks we need to put in and then build the other stuff around it. But too often, there's so much sand in this world that there are people who are filling their whole container with sand and there's no room for the rocks because they're not designing their life. So that that was just something I I've been thinking a lot about. I'd love your thoughts yeah, on that. Yeah, that's spot on, man. I with our win the print win the hour principle, we use the phrase going 16 and 0. Mm -hmm. For those that haven't heard that before, we talk about it in our in the book and in our presentations that assuming you sleep for eight hours a day, which really to win the day, you need to, especially if you're a, a young person or an athlete, you have to sleep. And that's just scientifically proven that to be an elite level athlete, sleep is critical. So assuming you're sleeping eight hours a day, you have 16 hours that you're awake. We tell athletes go 16 and 0, approach it like you would a season, try to go undefeated. You don't worry about the eighth game of the season during the first week of the season. You worry about the first game during the first week. So with that, with that in mind and what you just said, Chad, I kind of envision. So great. I agree with you. We believe in that. We should we should put the rocks in the most important things first, fill it all in. So what would that look like in the sense of 16 and 0 might be something. And I'm I'm sort of speaking while I'm thinking out loud here, I guess. If we took a piece of paper and drew a line down the middle of it, and I on the on the right side of the line, maybe I put the 16 hours that I was awake. And let's say that started at, you know, whatever, 7 a.m. and it went to when I went to sleep. If that were the case, then on the left side of the line, I put in the most important things in my life, that, the stuff that I just, maybe I put all the things in my life, like everything that I would do in a day, the most important all the way down to, we probably need to be honest, I, according to my phone, because we can go look at this, I spend X amount of hours a day on my phone, right, scrolling or on social media, our phones can tell us this. So maybe we got to put that all in there. It's almost like budgeting, right? This is, I feel like it's a budgeting finance lesson, but sort of is. It's budgeting our, our time really, right? Right. So if we put that all down, I think what to your point is, okay, we're going to move the things on the left side over to the right side. So what do we start with, right? We have to start with this has got to get done today and it's going to take me from here to here to do and from here to, right? And, and schedule it that way. And then, probably gets to the point where 
to your point, Shad, not everything is going to fit. And that's the problem is that we are trying to fit everything. And in the process, either frying our brains and frying our energy and, and which is leading to anxiety, it's leading to lack of sleep, which also helps lead to anxiety and depression and all these things, because there literally is not enough time in the day to do all of those things and still do all the sand items. I can't scroll on social media for three or four hours and still have time to be an elite level athlete, an elite level student, a friend, a son, a daughter, all these other things. So maybe if we did something like that, you and I should actually maybe go through this exercise, Shad, maybe it's something that, that we could, you know, find the the holes in and share. But to me, it seems like we'd probably get to the point where we'd have to be realistic with ourselves and say, okay, I can't do that then. Like that, that particular thing will not fit if these other things are really what's most important to me. So we got to cut the cord. Right. And like, yeah. is that, is that what you're saying? Like we got to be that particular and that intentional is the word yeah. we use all the time. Well, if you're designing your life, that happens by designing your day, yeah. right? So some rocks are not movable. It's not like every rock is flexible. You have an appointment from, you know, three to five o'clock. You have a daughter's game at seven o'clock. You have. So I think if I personally were better at designing my day, sitting down at the beginning of the day, you know, and looking and saying, okay, where are the like the rocks that are in cement, right? Where are those that I, I can't move this. I know I have this and this and this that are, that are already built into my schedule. What else do I have to do? And then there's a great book. It's called getting things done where the author of that book, he suggests that you organize your to-do list in one of three categories to do today which means my head will not hit my pillow till I get done with this thing to do by Friday. So by the end of the work week, this is something that's not necessarily urgent, but before I leave and kind of check out to be with my family in the weekend and stuff, I need to get this done by Friday. So I, if I need to stay till five, six o'clock on Friday, I will to make sure I get all this done. So to be done by Friday, which that day is adjustable, of course. Sure. And then the third is to do someday when I have time. And so I have found that by, by organizing my day that way, when I look, for example, uh, we both probably get a lot of emails, right? You could prioritize those by, okay, I need to do that by Friday. I need to do that today. I can't go to bed without that being done. That could just be done someday when I have time. It's not even urgent. It would just be something nice to do. It, it, you can almost see that today are the big rocks, right? Yeah. Um, by Friday are the pebbles. Someday is the sand. Yeah. And so, so I think that designing your day, that it would be wise to wake up, to spend a few minutes to put those big rocks in your day that you know already exist and then fit in the other big rocks that you need to do um, before the day ends and then decide intentionally, okay, what pebbles am I going to put in my life? What are some of those things that I would like, I need to get done 
They aren't urgent. They aren't the big rocks in my life. Then we start designing our life. And I think all of us, one of the hazards of the 21st century is we have so much sand in our life. And there are some big things falling out of our lives because we aren't designing our life as that quote that I shared that, you know, yeah, time flies, but you're the pilot. You need to steer your time. You need to design your time. You need to, you need to schedule your priorities. And then when you get to the end of the day, you've, and you've won those hours as we teach, and you've gone 16 and 0 or 15 and 1, it's not one day that's going to change a life. It's day after day after day designing a life that points to where you want to be in your relationships and your occupation and your schooling and your athletic goals. If you don't design it and steer it, then you're just going to be doing what everyone tells you to do and you're going to be blowing in the cultural winds or whatever it might be. And and you'll just not end up where you could have ended up if you would win the hour and design your life, steer your time and schedule your priorities. So that's why I felt strongly enough to do that post. Well, and that's, that's eyes up, do the work. For those wondering why we feel like that simple phrase is so important, why it's really the foundation of of especially for athletes, really, it's not even an especially for athletes thing. And if we were speaking it at any to your business or to your school, we could have zero athletes in the audience, and we would start it with, "We need to live with our eyes up and do the work." It has nothing to do with athletics, because what we've just described here is eyes up is recognizing I've got a lot of things I got to get done today. That's awareness. It's, it's right. It's, it's, it's understanding it is what it is. This is what I have. That's eyes up. Doing the work is taking a minute to before just go out there and starting to just pound the hammer to have a plan that tells us how to build the, the building, right? We don't just go out and start nailing things together. We have a blueprint. We have a plan to follow. We do step A and then B and then C. If That's work. That takes a second to get organized. It's a game plan. If you want to use a sports metaphor, you don't just go out and play the game. There's a game plan to it. But we don't do that with our days. If we want to be what we say, win the hour and therefore win the day and be more efficient and effective, we have to do the work. So eyes up is, yeah. I've got a lot going on and I I need to get things done, admitting that, but doing the work is, okay, let's take a second to get organized and plans because I am the pilot, like you said, Chad, and and you mentioned that in the post, that otherwise your day will kind of control you, the world kind of controls you, and you're just sitting in the cockpit and somebody else is flying it for you. Yeah. Well, and and what what Daniel Summerhays said is he, he also said, when you design your day, you're better at saying no. Yeah. Because another way that things fill our life of less importance is just if someone asks us to do it, we just do it. Regardless of what rocks need to fall out of our life, we do it. Yeah. And um, and so I love that. When you look over your day and say, these are the things I need to get done. And then if you were to call me and say, hey, Shad, I need, could you do this? You know, 
if I've designed my day, I could say, Hey, Dustin, gosh, man, I, I would love to do that today. And I will, if I need to, let me tell you what I got on my schedule. Would it be okay if I, if I put that in tomorrow and I made sure that that's done tomorrow, it makes us better communicators. It makes us more trusted because when we're just blowing in the wind, we feel haphazard to other people as well. And maybe they can't count on us, but when we know what's going on that day, right. And, and we know, okay, here's what we have going on. If you're married, if you're a family, it's a good thing to do that with a spouse, right? Here's what I have tomorrow. What do you have? Am I missing anything? And we make sure it just makes us more reliable, steady, intentional people that accomplish more when we win the hour. And in order to win it, we have to have our eyes up, look over the day, do the work to design it, and then execute it, do the work to execute it. And if we do that, not that we'll get it perfect all the time, but as we're talking about this, you could feel the difference that it would make in a life to be designed instead of living a life by default. And it will be work. Right. We don't, we never, we never shy away from emphasizing the last word of that phrase is that it, it's not do it if it's easy or do it if it's convenient or do it when it fits in. It will be work. There will be hard decisions. Saying no is hard. Cutting things out will be hard. It won't be fair. Well, he's able to do it for this long. How come I'm not able to do that? That he gets to go to the gym for an hour and a half. I'm only going to have 20 minutes. Yeah. Hey, well, that, yes. Until some other things may be changed in your life, 20 minutes may be all you have. But during those 20 minutes, you got to make sure your workout is focused, intense, 100% to your workout, because that's all you're going to get today until you cut other things out. And it's hard. It's work. That's but, but our kids are growing up in a world, their whole life has been full of all this sand. Yeah. Dad, we're 46 years old. We know life before a lot of this sand was even invented. Right. We knew what it was like to come home and not be tempted to go and get on YouTube because it didn't exist. We didn't have the Internet to go and look at. We didn't have access to every movie in the world that we could get. We were lucky if we got one right on a weekend at Blockbuster for a couple of days. All of this extra sand that are in these kids lives, if we as their parents and coaches don't teach them how to manage that, it'll just bury them. And it is, it is, it is burying them. Like it's literally, right. It's literally burying some of these kids. It's too much for them to handle. Not many people are going to wake up all excited about planning. That's one of those boring things. You know, Justin Sua also said in order to be great, we need to embrace the boredom of consistency. The, the designing your day is one of those boring things that those who are great, they've embraced it. Yeah. Um, those who aren't, you know, that might be one, one reason why they aren't accomplishing as much as they should. And, and, and to that point, Shad, I think it's important that we remember part of planning the day is to plan time to maybe not be all engaged, not be all checked in. Like it's okay to have some time in the day that, you know what? I need to scroll on my phone for 20 minutes right now. I need to play a game on my phone. I'm going to go play Xbox with my son. I want to just listen to music. And this is right. And and make it a pebble. Maybe it's not a rock, but make it a pebble. I need time. You need time to relax. We need time to check out, you know, and, and that's important. 
And there's nothing wrong with that, that you don't have to be on all 16 hours of the day. Go, 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 go 100%. You'll burn out if that's the case. So, well, Chad, I love it, man. I totally agree. Nothing nothing feels as good as a well-earned nap. Yeah, amen. Yep. And going to to bed at the end of the night, knowing that, you know, you you got things done and you can sleep and you you earned it. Yep. Absolutely. Well... Appreciate you, Shad. Thanks for sharing that, man. That was great. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's hop into our interview with head coach Mike Russell from Syracuse High School, former head women's basketball coach at Snow College. Coach Russell, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Coach uh, Russell's up at Syracuse High School, which those of you that aren't familiar with that area, we, we the three of us live in Utah. Syracuse High School is sort of in the northern, probably third of the state. Uh, It's a big 6A school up in northern Utah. But Coach Russell has a history of not only coaching at Syracuse High School, but also coaching at another northern Utah school, Bonneville High School. And he's also been a college basketball coach at one of the top junior colleges in America, Snow College, where he was the head women's basketball coach. Mike's father was a basketball coach. For how many years did your dad coach high school basketball, Mike? He coached for 38 years. 38 years. One of the all-time greatest basketball coaches that the state of Utah has ever had. And, And Mike's been a very... Really, from the conception of especially for athletes, he's been on board and supportive of it. So we're excited to have him and and want to dive into asking you a, a series of different questions, Mike. So I'm going to let Shad get us started. Um, okay. So Shad, let's go. Awesome, Coach. Thanks so much for joining us. I, I'm interested in your history as a college women's basketball coach. I just want to lead off with a simple question. What would you say to those who mock or make fun of women's sports and treat them as though they're irrelevant? You know, it's it's hard to respond to to people that do do that. I think it stems from ignorance in a way. I, I think that there's a misunderstanding. Um, a lot of people that that do, you know, poke fun of female athletes or women's sports really have never watched. They 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 don't know what it's all about. Uh, obviously men, men and women are different. I, I think that I, that's, that's really all I can say. I, I think there's a huge misunderstanding, um, from people that do do that, but yeah, it, it definitely, it's definitely bothersome to me that, uh, so many people do downplay or downgrade, uh, female athletes. Well, Chad, I think that, you know, when you talk to, uh, Ella Ballstead, who was a, super successful collegiate soccer player at Utah and and at BYU and a longtime member of especially for athletes she brought up the the entertainment value and and of course if you watch an NBA basketball game you're going to see more slam dunks than you're going to see watching a women's basketball game um however if you're watching sports for the for the love of watching competition, watching team, watching, you know, the game be played the way it's supposed to be played, whether it's men or women's sports, um, you know, watching women's tennis, watching women's um, golf, watching, you know, women in the Olympics, you know, swimming and gymnastics and all these things. But for some reason, you know, we, with some of the team sports, there's this, 
sense of, yeah, like it's, it's just not, you know, what, what was it that Ella told you Shad about her experience as a soccer player? I know you, you've brought it up before in some podcasts. What was her quote on that? Yeah, she mentioned that if we just view sports as entertainment, that's one lens to look at sports through. And maybe some people would look at women's sports through the lens of entertainment and say, oh, the NBA is way more entertaining than the WNBA. And everyone has their opinions. I'm sure that there are women who are locked into the WNBA who aren't as interested in the in the NBA, right? But she said that's one lens, the lens of entertainment. But what about the lens of growth? What about the lens of of sports being a tool to help people develop key attributes in their life that is going to serve them well? And the point she made that I thought she made so well is who cares how entertaining something is or people's opinion about how entertaining something is? We need to provide sports opportunities for young women because it is a great source of education and growth. And when we look at it through that lens, like some people will mock Title IX and they'll, you know, make fun of things that that girls need to have, you know, the football brings in all the money. Why is it that, you know, girls basketball gets some of the men's basketball money or whatever. If you're looking entertainment and just sports or to make money, okay, then those things might, might have some validity to them. But if you look at it, like we are trying to provide growth for people and we believe sports is a great source to learn life's lessons. Then of course we, as men, should be doing everything we can to give our daughters and sisters and mothers opportunities and to support them because we believe it. We believe sports brings about great growth. And you know, Dustin, that's a key, a key cog in our whole program is that sports teach some of life's greatest lessons. And so I love that she brought that up. I think it's a great point. Mike, are female athletes less competitive than the male athletes? No, no, not at all. <laughs> yeah. Is the is the is the team atmosphere or the team bonding or the the you know the camaraderie that comes from team any less connected in women's basketball as it is in men's? Honestly, I think I think you know there's there's a little bit more of that. Uh, the teams I coached at Bonneville and at Snow were so well connected and it was different. It was, it was definitely different. There's, you know, sometimes with boys you, or males, you get, you get the ego that plays into all that. But, but the, the female athletes that I coached were, they were so great as far as being in it for the right reasons and being about the team. And, and that's, that's honestly why we had the success we did at Snow had a lot to do with that, with, you know, we we would we did so well, and a lot of it had to do with how well the girls liked each other, and just how how much they played for each other. And so, definitely, just as competitive, if not more than than any male athlete I've been around. Well, our message to the to the the woman athlete and coach and mom out there of and and dad of of, of girl athletes is that please keep playing. It's important. Um, it's okay. I I know we had a 
Division One basketball coach on our podcast, and we've done Allie Bills talk about women sometimes being afraid to get into some of these sports because they're supposed to be, and I think we're getting past this as a society. I hope we are, but there's this opinion that they're supposed to be proper and done up and, and they're, you know, they, they're supposed to have their makeup on and their hair done right. And and if they get out there and they're, they're sweating and they're, you know, they're, they're running around and getting bumps and bruises and competing and angry and all the things that go into a game that that's somehow not being ladylike or not being a woman. And, and which first time she said that, I thought, oh, I don't know if that's true. And then the more I thought of it, I was like, wow, she's absolutely right. I, I find myself, I'll admit it. I I'm embarrassed to admit it, but I do find myself and I know I'm not alone. If I turn on a basketball game or something and I see the coach of the basketball team is a woman and she's super intense for whatever reason, I have a different, opinion of why is she so intense than I would if I saw that coming from Jerry Sloan when he was the coach of the jazz or coach K from Duke or Dean, you know, right. Dean Smith, one of these legendary basketball coaches who was fired up and Bobby Knight, some of these guys that were loud and in faces and of their guys, it was, no, I defend them. No, they, they love their, their men. They're just defending their boys and they're pushing them and they want them to be resilient and tough. And, but for some reason, when the woman does it, it comes across as, man, she's so angry. And why is she like that? And settle down and gee, she's out of control. And that's just, that's the the prejudice, I guess, um, that I think we as men have. And I think it's okay to say we have it, but geez, man, we need to, we need to change that because that's not right. So Mike, let's maybe change topics here. Shad and I have a couple questions we want to ask you specifically about some of the principles that, that, you believe in that are part of, especially for athletes. Is there anyone in particular that you as a coach or that you saw maybe taught by your dad or other coaches of the, the four, especially for athletes principles, win the hour, compete without contempt, be resilient and seek to bless, not impress that, that you've used or that you feel, you know, some connection to, uh, you know, the, the E4A principle, uh, compete without contempt, is one that, that really, re- I, I took that with me from the first time that I heard it, you know, when you came to Bonneville. When I went to Snow, we have a player handbook that, it's like a working handbook that I've, that I've had over the years and, and I use it. it it's like uh, our team expectations um, for our players and and that's that's a major principle in there that we hit on with with our our teams. And I took it with me to snow. Uh, we talked a lot about it, just what it actually means, what what contempt means, and and what it means to compete without contempt. And and so that that's a principle that that's really um, made an impact on me and and our teams. And uh, not only does it apply to the opponents that we play against? But also uh, there's, there's a, there's an application within the team. I mean, because, you know, it can get competitive at practice and, and at times, you know, there might be some rivalry that develops over time. And so I think it's not only important to practice that principle when you're playing another school or another team, but also, yeah, you got to remember that when you're, you know, competing every day in practice that 
that you just play hard and, and, and when practice is over, it's over and, and you move on. So that, that's one that's really uh, always stuck with me from the first time I heard it. Yeah, I love that. I love that principle. I We've talked a lot lately about love is a greater motivator than hate. And I think it's very countercultural right now to try to motivate people by love, you know, love of love of their team, love of their school, love of their community. Just right now in so many factions of our society, people are trying to motivate with hate and and then it just destroys it it destroys people and creates these tribes of people that are against one another and when we try to motivate by fear and hate instead of love. So that's one of my favorite principles. That's I love how you bring up, by the way, Mike, that it's within team stuff too. We talk a lot about, you know, not uh, hating the rival school and realizing that, hey, if those people would be on your team, they'd be some of your best friends and, and stuff like that. But maybe something that we could talk about a little bit more is that when you're trying to beat out that person, can you love yep. someone that you're trying to take their spot? And can uh -huh. you hope for their success instead of like, if you're sitting on the bench, hoping that that kid who beat you out is going to fail so that you could get in that that's one way of competing with contempt is wanting someone to sure. fail so that you can get in when it negatively impacts your team. So that's a really great application, Mike. Do you, do you have anything, Mike, that you or your dad have done to to stress competition without you know letting that turn negative? Because I know as a coach, you also do not want to coach anybody who's not ultra competitive. So you know where where's that line, and you know how do you address that? that line that wanting that ultra competitive do whatever it takes kid but you know but also knowing that sometimes that leads to dirty play or cheating or something like that honestly we uh our practices are really competitive uh we try to have an aspect of competition in everything that we do um just so that our players are always competing um, but we do practice um, and and really teach certain things like helping helping someone up off the floor when when they're down. You know, definitely your teammate. You know, it, it gives me a lot of of pride when I see players in our program help up uh, another an opposing player off the floor because that's something that we teach, and, and I think that simple gesture is competing without contempt on display yeah. and, and it sounds kind of silly but but we're always looking to help people up and i think that's a good reminder i mean you can be in the heat of battle and if someone goes down just seeing them on the floor is a, is a reminder hey yeah I, i've got to help them up because you know that's that's the, the thing to do the right thing to do um, and so that's one thing. The other thing is we try to we try to just let our play do our talking. You know, there's there's a lot of teams and, and kids that we'll play against that, that like to talk and, and run their mouth a little while you play. And, and that's something that we don't do. I think that's another good reminder for our guys or girls that, you know, we just go out there and play and, and we keep it classy and 
if someone's talking to us, we, we don't, we don't talk back. We just play. And so those are two things that help our teams and our players kind of stay focused. And so, you know, as a coach, that makes me, makes me proud that they've bought into that. How do you as a coach, Mike, um, I'm, I, I've coached for a lot of years as well. And I know that sometimes I struggle with this, this principle, um, how do we wanting to be competitive and, and, you know, successful, um, successful with wins and losses and also successful with, you know, building good players and, and hopefully young men and young women. But how do we as coaches balance the, what Shad and I refer to oftentimes is the process over the reward or the, you know, the, the process over the end result that sounds good, but at the end of the day, if you don't win games in, in our profession, sure. you don't coach anymore, right? So, um, like, as you've coached for a long time, I'm sure you watched your dad have winning seasons, and I'm guessing at some point he, he didn't have, you know, as great a season, right? How did uh -huh. he juggle it, or how do you juggle that? Oh, that's, that's such a good question. I think, for me, I feel like I've always had pretty good perspective. And uh, with that, I'm able to stay pretty level-headed, even in the heat of battle. Like, I want to win, and, and I want my guys to, to win and, and experience that. But And I think my teams can feed off of that. Just, you know, me staying calm in a tense situation. Um, but, you know, I've been fortunate to have players that have bought in and, and, you know, fortunately we've won more than we've lost. And, um, I think that has a lot to do with the kids just buying in. And obviously you've got to have talented kids, but I really can't say that I've done anything in particular to practice that principle. You know, Dustin, two things come to my mind that we've heard from others that I, I sense in Mike as well, but attitude and effort and focus. I like adding focus now. Yeah. <laughs> Attitude, effort, and focus, that could be demanded, right? Yeah. And if you demand that of your team and correct it when it's not there, then then one or two one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to win or you're going to learn, right? I love that yeah. phrase that others have mentioned on our podcast. You win or you learn. Yeah. And I'm not saying you can't learn as you win as well, but but when you're focused on process, like you let in with this question, and you're you're focused on using sports as a tool to help young people grow into their best selves, then a loss every now and then isn't as devastating, right? It's not because it's not about you or the school. I think when we're focused on, okay, I'm going to demand attitude, I'm going to demand effort, I'm going to demand focus. And when those things aren't there, I'm going to correct it. Um, and we're going to win some, we're going to lose some. In Mike's case, we're going to win more than we lose. But when we lose, we're going to learn resilience. Yeah, We're going to learn, we're going to lose the right way. We're going to analyze it. We're going to learn to make goals to get better. If we have that perspective that that's what sports are about, and we've done this before, but who won the who won the five A championship three years ago? Oh yeah, and no one knows. You know what I mean? Like you you can't even name them, and and so but those kids who played five A basketball, and I know you coach six A, but I I thought you would know who won the six A three years ago, so I that's why I went five A. Oh. Um, but those kids who played learned lessons. 
mm-hmm. on the last place team and on the first place team. They learn lessons that they're applying right now to their life, to their college, to their their families. And that's what's important. I think just focusing on those right things, as Mike talked about, losses sting a little less because you win or you learn. And and we're into helping kids learn. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, watching athletes, the, the, the amount of years you've coached, men and women, uh, the, the athletes you saw around your dad when you were hanging around practices and things, I'm sure, as a kid. Um, is, is there any noticeable, and maybe the answer is no to this, that you don't have to say there is, but have you noticed any difference in the way that kids are being uh, coached or maybe raised or ex- expected to be great by parents? Is there any a- added pressure nowadays on kids compared to, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago? And and the other question would be, are the kids that you're coaching now, have you noticed a difference in how you need to coach them because of some of the, just the changes in society, social media, all the different things of the, of the last 10 or 20 years. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Kids are different. Coaches are, are different. You got to coach differently uh, than, than you would have, you know, 20 years ago, even when I played, I'm, I'm 41 and uh, it, it's just different. And uh, it's not bad. But kids, kids respond differently to coaching. And a lot, a lot of times coaching can be critical or come across as critical. My dad, he was known as uh, kind of a, a hard-nosed guy with his, his teams, but his teams always knew that, that he loved them. And uh, he could coach those, those young ladies. He coached them hard, and I can remember him getting after them. Um, but at the end of the day, he's always you know building them up and telling them he loved him or loved them. And honestly, coaching girls has, has made me a better coach for that reason. I, I, I think, you know, I learned, I learned early when I switched from coaching boys to girls that you have to, they're different. They're different. They're athletes, but they're different, you know? Yeah. And, uh, now that I'm back to coaching boys, I think, uh, I'm just more patient. I'm, I don't, come unglued you know i see some coaches that really get after their guys and and i just don't think i don't think kids respond to that like they they used to um and that's not a bad thing like i I don't think kids are soft i just think that they're different i'm glad you said that 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 last sentence is not that they're soft and that's sometimes the the phrase that gets thrown at this current generation they're lazy they're soft and and you see it with the kids you coach. I see it with the kids, you know, that I coach or hear it. And then the kids that Shad and I are, are out speaking to, um, everything I read, everything I listen to, I'll see stuff all the time on, on social media, or I'll hear somebody give a, a just yesterday or two days ago, heard somebody speaking and talking about this generation. And here's a phrase, for example, and this might be a topic for another day, Shad, or a, that you and I could really dive into, but just the other day, I heard somebody going off again about nowadays, everybody gets a participation trophy and we're making soft kids. And he went on and on and on about it. And I finally was like, you know what? I hear that all the time, but I don't know if that's true. I don't remember. I've never given anybody a participation trophy for my kids have not ever been given just a trophy for participating. Now, maybe that's a phrase it means broader things, but if my son plays, you know, my, and my daughters play a lot of different sports, 
they, I don't remember them when they finished last place coming home with a trophy or give you know being given something. It was, you know, maybe they were there's a t-shirt or there's something that they get for participating in the league or something like that when they're a kid. But so what? Like that's not a well, that's not making a kid soft. You mm-hmm. know, I, I think the bigger problem is making kids soft, and this is to the parents. And to your point, Mike, about your dad being a kind of in-your-face type coach a little bit, I think it's if a coach gets in a, at a player and gets into their player a little bit, people come unglued. How mm-hmm. dare he expect my son or my daughter to, to do what my son or my daughter knows how to do and could do in practice and – how dare he get on my son and daughter for not running up the floor fast enough and for dogging it and for and now he's trying to teach that that kid a lesson that used to be thought of in my opinion is thank you somebody else to tell my son to move his butt right i wanted that as a dad to now how dare you talk to my son that way and in front especially in front of people people are seeing this and it's almost this shot on the parent that they're embarrassed now instead of a Thank you for somebody else to harden my my son a little bit, build a little Teflon on my son or my daughter. That's not yeah. the fault of the leagues or of that's just the parents, right? Like, yeah. am I am I off on that? Am I too hard? That's the hard nosed coach in me there. But no, no, you're right. You're one hundred percent right. And I I see the same thing as a teacher. You can tell the kids that come from parents hold them accountable versus those that that don't it's it's exactly what you just said i love when a parent comes in brings their kid with them to parent teacher conference and you know sides with the teacher and wants the kid to do better and expects more of them as opposed to the the parent that comes in and you know it's the teacher's fault that the kid is getting a 50 percent in the class and that he's never there and you know they just kind of make excuses for him so yeah i definitely think you know what you said about the way kids are parented, I think that has a lot to do with the softness that we see. Chad, what do you think on that? Yeah. So I, I have a, a couple of thoughts. There's this, there's a highway in Africa to stick with me for a little bit on this, one, but it's called the Mombasa highway. And it's one of the most dangerous roads in the world. And the reason why is because it, at this particular place, they don't have a lot of money to grade the road and to level it out. So what they just, they pour pavement just over the old pavement. But what's happened is on both of the medians, like there's a foot drop off, right? From the, the asphalt to dirt. And so a lot of times cars will be going around. And when we hit rumble strips, if it's the Mombasa highway, your tire falls off, it hits your frame and it, and it tumbles. But it's so narrow because it eats away at the sides that there's also oncoming traffic. So it's just this dangerous road. Someone shared that one time to teach that there's kind of guardrails. When we think of an issue, we have to think of both sides of the road, the oncoming traffic and going off this side of the road. And as you were talking about the participation trophy and the parents and and stuff like that, I kind of think that there's there's two guardrails here that came to my mind. I think every kid should get a participation trophy if it's done the right way, right? The participation trophy is honoring their effort, honoring the part that they were part of a team, that they stuck in there through the end of the season, that they had a good attitude 
if we're honoring the right things and awarding those things, I don't see it being negative. But at the same time, the other guardrail is if we just totally eliminate winners and losers so that no kid has to feel bad, I think that's really bad because then we have eliminated the disappointment that kids are going to experience from sports and we've eliminated the opportunity for them to build resilience. And so sometimes people set up these false dichotomies, right? Like, oh, if every kid gets a little trophy or is honored for participating, then that means they aren't going to learn resilience. And it's like, no, it's just the way you do it. Honor their attitude and effort and then recognize the winners. And and so I think that by doing that as parents, as coaches, as leagues, we allow them to really think, okay, what's important is my attitude, my effort, my focus, those things that I do. And I did that really good. I wasn't good enough to win. And so I want to be better. And I lost that championship game. I hope, I love seeing my daughters after they lose a match or after they lose a dance competition. I love seeing tears fall down their face. Not because I love seeing them disappointed, but I love seeing them have the opportunity to have to go to the gym the next day or the court the next day and, and be resilient and work and try to improve and try to beat that team who's beat you three years in a row. I love that sports provide our kids with that. So, so do you see what I'm talking about with the two sides there? Like yeah. we can't, we don't have to undo one side honoring attitude and effort to honor winners. And we don't have to not um, honor winners in order to make kids feel good about their attitude and effort. But sometimes we just set this up as though it's one or the other. And I don't think it has to be. I agree with you, Shad. And I think we do exactly what you just said, probably the right way when it, and, and have done it forever in America with high school graduations. We give, if you do a little bit of work enough to just get a other than an F, right? You're going to graduate and you're going to get a diploma. You're going to walk and you're going to be recognized and you're going to get an award for participating. You graduated high school. But there's also going to be the kids who walk down the aisle with gold, you know, ropes <laughs> over their neck and that are valedictorians and that pictures are in the hallways of the school because they were the top of their class and they were right. They got academic scholarships or they got all state awards in sports or whatever. And they get recognized. They get other awards. They're there. If, 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 if we were really literally following some of the, the, the opinions of some of these people that I think are misdirecting what this participation award really is, we would only give, we would only let those with straight A's walk. Right. Like the only the kid with the very best GPA and ACT would be the one recognized at a graduation. All the rest of you. No, because you weren't the very best, yeah. but we don't like we recognize everybody. But sure, if those of you that had the better grades, you know, you did a little bit better. And I think that's fine. To your point, Shad, I do feel like they should feel the sting of. Hey, I want to be that someday. I want to be better. I'd like to be the one that wins. I'd like to be the one on the podium. I'd like to be the one that there's nothing wrong with that. That should drive them. They, if you're competitive, that should be the case. So we don't want to take that away, but that doesn't mean we can't say, 
Hey, good job for trying really hard. And we're proud of your effort and your attitude. I spot on with that, Shad. I agree a hundred percent. Well, and I think Dustin, to your point there, there are kids sitting in the crowd at a high school graduation who know they should have ropes around their neck, but they don't. And then there's that kid who has dyslexia or ADHD who has fought so much harder than even the the valid Victorians to get um, to get where they are to walk across that stage, right? And so, so just to recognize those who are elite in their mind who learn really quick that misses the mark too yeah because the other kids have worked really hard and and they deserve to be honored and so i'm like you dustin i kind of hear these oh participation trophies and things like that maybe the execution is wrong sometimes but i think attitude attitude and effort should always be honored and and if we don't do that i think we're missing the mark so I, i love what you're saying Yep, I agree. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Mike, thank you, man. We appreciate you hopping on with us and talking a little bit. And uh, please keep doing all the good that you're doing. We need more coaches like you. We appreciate you. Yeah, thank you. Well, Dustin, that was great. Mike has some great thoughts. What a what a great coach. And he's the kind of coach that all of us would love our players to play for that values those things. He He's always... He's always just been in line with the the principles of building building through sports, and he does it. And because of that, he's been successful. It's no surprise to me that he got that job at at the college level, and then kind of missed being with the high school guys and and coaching, and and got back into the high. But he's just he's your definition of just a coach. Just loves it. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Well, thank you everyone for joining the Sport Light Podcast. Like it, share it, and rate it. It helps us to get the word out. Eyes up, do the work. This has been the Sportlight Podcast from Especially for Athletes, sponsored by Coca-Cola. You can learn more about Especially for Athletes by visiting the website at especiallyforathletes.org. You can also learn more about the book, The Sportlight, by Shad Martin and Dustin Smith at especiallyforathletes.org slash book.